Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Solidarity. 3CR, radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. Good evening everybody and welcome to another edition of, a May Day edition of Keep Left, the program of Victorian Labour College. In the studio is Kim Doyle. Hi everyone. Uh, John Lafferty. Morning everybody. And myself, Chris Gaffney. And uh, at 10.30, we'll allow you to ring up and have your say on anything, so do stay tuned. Okay, Kim. Oh, who's going? Glasses, please. Oh, glasses. Thank you very much. I forgot my glasses. That's right. I've never used these glasses before. Um, I think they make things better. Maybe they don't. Well, we'll tell, won't we? Okay. On Wednesday this week, the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe addressed the joint sitting of the U.S. Congress, becoming the first Japanese leader to do so. This is considered a very great honour. It cannot be viewed as a coincidence that his speech was made on the anniversary of the birthday of Japan's World War II Emperor Hirohito. Mr. Abe has a long history of trying to whitewash the crimes of Japanese imperialism in the years 1931, that's 3-1, to 1945. Hirohito was a war criminal of the worst kind, yet he was kept in power by the American occupiers of post-war Japan. Even, I remember this, even when he died, still as emperor, in 1989, the Bob Hawke government ordered the lowering of the Australian flag to recognise his passing, considered a sad passing, and we had to show respect. Mr. Abe has been greatly increasing Japan's military spending since he came to power. In his speech to the Congress, he expressed strong support for the American, quote, rebalance, uh, which is also called by Barack Obama, the pivot to Asia. The 2012 pivot to Asia was declared by Obama back when Julia Gillard was Prime Minister, enthusiastically received by her. It is an anti-Chinese strategic and military policy, which is strongly supported by both the Liberal and Labour parties in this country. New aspects have been added to the pivot of Asia, which give Japanese armed forces, for the first time since 1945, the ability to operate outside of Japan. Also, joint US-Japanese air patrols over the South China and East China Seas have been agreed to. Mr. Abe started off his speech by quoting from his maternal grandfather and a man who was also a Japanese prime minister, Nobusuke Kishi. Mr. Kishi was a member of Japan, Japan's World War II era cabinet and was heavily implicated in war crimes in China, yet he was never punished. At least 10 million Chinese were killed by the Japanese Imperial Army and the Kwantung Army. For 10 years before Pearl Harbor, starting in 1931, and for four years after it, a large chunk of China was under Japan's military rule. Korea was also a part of the Japanese Empire for even longer. Now, of course, Japan no longer has an empire. Strangely enough, she still has an emperor. His Imperial Majesty Tenno Akihito, this is where I really need the glasses, His Imperial Majesty Tenno Akihito is said to have descended from the sun goddess Amaterasu. 
Hope we got that right. Yeah, I'm really meta. Descended, who's descended from the sun goddess, Christopher? If you don't mind. You're Some not. respect. Yeah, you're not. Come on. So, so at the very same time as Western leaders have been snubbing Russian commemorations of the 70th anniversary of the victory over fascism, this right-wing nationalist Japanese leader is welcome to Washington with open arms. Mr. Abe was indeed enthusiastically received by the two houses of Congress, by Republicans and Democrats alike. Standing ovation followed standing ovation as he repeatedly referred to the leadership of the so-called free world being provided by the US and Japan. We remember the free world, don't we? What a euphemism that is, the The free world. The old Cold War days coming back, the free world. Mr. Abe's speech wouldn't have been complete without some reference to World War II. He did make an apology, but only to American victims of the conflict. Even right-wing commentators have suggested that he only did that in order to help shore up a better US-Japanese trade agreement, for instance. The Bloomsburg Business Report to refer to his offering, quote, eternal condolences and deep repentance over the 1940s war with the US. Abbey even laid a wreath at the National World War II Memorial in Washington's National Mall. He went on to say, quote, check this one out. Japan is resolved to take yet more responsibility for the peace and stability of the world. Oh, yes. Yet more. Right. Even good. more. Yeah. That is an actual quote which Bloomsburg Business reported without any criticism whatsoever. I think we might have some. Defying protesters outside the U.S. Capitol, the Japanese leader offered no apology to women from Korea and other nations forced into prostitution by the Japanese Imperial Army back in the 20th century. These women were labelled comfort women. Abe's speech was also short an apology to the Chinese people, who are yet again the focus of Japan's renewed belligerence. Only Americans were deemed worthy of Abe's pity. Barack Obama's grand pivot to Asia is a provocative anti-Chinese policy. Australia, like Japan, has vowed to march to the beat of this US drum. Tony Abbott has said, just to prove this, I want to reassure President Obama that Australia will be an utterly dependable ally of the United States. Sounds to me like marching to the drum. While we are commemorating the anniversaries of past wars, we need to be even more focused on avoiding future conflicts. Before he died, even the former Conservative Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser, in a a book he wrote, warned against the mistakes of the ANZUS Alliance, the Australian-American ANZUS Alliance. Mr. Abbey's speech provides further evidence as to why that pact, the ANZUS Alliance, needs at least to be reassessed. There is one good thing that might come out of this great friendship between the US and Japan and Germany. What's that? We might get less of these crap Hollywood movies. Well, we get Japanese but, crap movies, will we? <laughs> Instead of about, about World War II, I'll make a Right, change. yes, yes. Make yes. a change. It's interesting, too, because I interviewed a woman whose grandparents were in the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs, and she was saying that she grew up in Japan and she said that the victims of the bombings were terribly sort of discriminated against they weren't given compensation or helped out by the government and she had a teacher who had been affected by the bombings and she was very sick and she just tried to hide it and that was there was kind of this shame associated with it which would kind of make sense in the pivot towards the u.s alliance just kind of pushing that stuff well you're suggesting they they deliberately quietened it down well, because I think that they didn't want to have to pay compensation to the people oh, who were affected 
by radiation poisoning. Right. So they were made to feel shame because they hadn't done anything honourable. I don't know. It's got a bit... Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Well, I think a lot of the... Blame the victims. I think, they, 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 you know, the there was time. a lot of um, problems with with births and all that kind of stuff oh, yeah, that you absolutely. get from radiation And it passes exposure. on. It passes on. It's like the Agent Orange stuff in Vietnam. I mean, it passes on generation after generation. It's not... You know, it doesn't end, this chemical stuff, just with these people who are actually affected no, no, at no. the time. No, no, no. no, no, no. Well, you, bombs are dropped in, uh, in Australia on Aboriginal territory. I mean, that mm. still, still has repercussions. All right, um, and you, Kim, you were going to talk about the, the events in... Um, Baltimore, yeah. In, in Baltimore, in America. And I, I mm. mean, I think they're, they're of great significance. I think it's a great significance... This is showing us what how the capitalist state is going to deal with dissent in the future. Yes, exactly. I think it has huge repercussions. And as people may have observed, the angry protests that erupted over the murder of yet another young black man, uh, this time a 25-year-old, uh, Freddie Gray, who died in the hospital on April 19th, days after his voice box was crushed and his spine nearly severed while he was in police custody. And Gray was, was arrested on April 12th outside of Gilmore Homes, where he lived, a few blocks away from the Western District Police Station in the neighbourhood of uh, Sandtown, Winchester. Police say that they chased Gray and arrested him after he made eye contact with them and ran away. The cheeky bugger. They, look, yes. they looked at him funny. Yes, exactly. Now... Why the hell would a young black man run away from the police in a country where, since the beginning of this year alone, law enforcement officers have killed 381 people as of April 28th? Um, a horrifying that's rate that's of murder. this year? Yeah, that's this year. It actually ends up being one person killed every eight hours. So it's probably more accurate to describe these people as assassins. They probably get more runs on the board than most assassins, I would think. Mm. So the cops have not disclosed what, if anything, uh, the man was supposed to be charged with, although they later apparently discovered a pocket knife mm. on him. Oh, these blacks, are vicious. Yes. Well, it's even the mayor um, was forced to admit that this is not actually a crime. And it's worth pointing out that unlike Ferguson, the large bulk of the sort of officialdom in Baltimore are middle class um, African Americans. A lot. It's eighty yeah. percent, I believe. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. So there is a huge class yep. dynamic to this revolt, and it's very obvious to the people there. And if you hear them being interviewed, uh, you can you can hear them saying very political things about that. But that also contra- uh, also puts a lie to the idea that this is purely a black on white thing. Mm-hmm. That's yes. right. It does. The Baltimore thing certainly points to that because an awful lot of government officials, police officials. Well, that's right. Because yeah. I mean, a, a thin layer of the blacks has made it into the bourgeoisie, so that it's yeah. no longer just black on white. It's as yeah. you point out, it's class. Sorry. Yeah. No. Exactly. And in Baltimore, there is around twenty-five percent unemployment, um, and this rises to over fifty percent in the area where uh, Freddie Gray was killed. Uh, so. One in four people live in poverty, and there is only about 60 to 70% of occupation rate for houses, so people are too poor to afford to live in them. And no less than 150,000 people in Baltimore are facing evictions this year alone. So, and I think it's more than 10% of the population, yeah, 25,000 people are also facing having their water cut off um, for not being able to pay their water bills. 
Um, and this includes a school that has had its water disconnected. Uh, and this, so they've got no running water in this school. Right, um, right. And this is because since the global financial crisis, water bills have increased by roughly 40%. So in public housing, water is actually included in the rent. So if you haven't paid your water bill, you are considered not to have paid your rent, and so you can be evicted for that. And, of course, people have run up huge water bills because there's leaking taps and leaking pipes and, mm. you know... Can you imagine how difficult it would be to get the government to actually repair public property? And with uh, with unemployment, you said twenty five percent general unemployment, nearly always with yeah, yeah, with with unemployment, nearly always if the twenty five percent is the figure for the general population for youth, it's it's always much higher, always much harder. Yeah, yeah, double. Um, And so inequality is just obviously obscene. I think I was I was watching someone on Democracy Now. I believe it was. Although I didn't, I wasn't sure that I particularly liked their coverage. But one of the the men was talking about how they're closing down all the youth programs, but they're building a giant casino downtown. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of inequality that exists. And the when actually the Baltimore metropolitan area has the nineteenth largest economic output um, in the U.S., but a John Hopkins study found that youth in poor neighbourhoods face conditions similar to counterparts in Nigeria and India. And black infants in Baltimore are almost nine times more likely to die before the age of one than white infants. And AIDS cases are nearly five times more common in in the African-American community. Um, So I think that the Baltimore uprising says everything about capitalism. This is the richest nation in the world and it has been for a very long time. And it has people who are living in the same conditions as people in the third world. And... I think part of it is that capitalism has been in such a protracted economic crisis that there aren't the ruling class is not willing to give reforms like it has previously, and so all it has to give really is repression, and so they've basically criminalised poverty. At any one time, one in eighty-seven white men in the U.S. is in jail. For Hispanic men, that's one in thirty-six, and for African American men, it's one in twelve, which is just incredible. Mm. And they're in jail for petty crimes, things like... Being not poor. Being poor, basically. And things like not paying your child support, which the the Clinton, which is one of Clinton's so-called reforms, and it was actually championed by feminists. But what's happened is it's just very, very poor black men who don't have enough money to survive themselves end up going to jail. And I think 10% of the black population in jail are in jail for that. And one of the men that was killed in South Carolina, Walter Scott, who people might have seen, was shot yeah, in we, the back we, we on saw camera. Just before, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was actually the reason that he ran away from the police was because he owed child mm. child support. So many of the historic oppressions of the black community, which prevailed pre civil rights, have been continued in a different form. So, for instance, in many states, and I think this includes Baltimore, if you have a criminal record, you no longer have the right to vote. So you've been disenfranchised. So it's the new Jim Crow. Um, so this is the but context. That's extended to about 3 million people, I think. Have you, yeah. Do you know the actual figures of people who now lo- are no longer eligible to vote? And that's d- not, yeah. they're not allowed to vote for the rest of their lives, are they? Is that right? I think that's, yeah, that if you have a conviction, that's... that's it. well, it's not in every state, though, so right. I'm not sure what the why, figures why are. Why don't the Democrats try to change that? Because, I mean, these people would generally speak... They would generally vote Democrat. Well, most of them, I, I suspect, aren't even registered. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure most... I mean, only 46% 
When Americans have elections, only about, yeah, 46, that's not about 46% of the people vote. But the thing is, the Republicans are much smaller, but they will tend to vote. Well, far they, more they're than, than wealthier. those who would vote yeah. for they're the Democrats. They're wealthy and they yeah. will vote. They won't be Apparently, there's a, there's a, the new guy's put his hand up to run for president and he refers to himself as a socialist. Oh, God. Right. I forget right. his name, but... But this <laughs> oppression is the context for the riots, which have been sort of the focus of the media. Of course, they need some way of trying to slander the protesters. So the first major clashes started at um, Mundorman Mall, the gathering point for a social media call for high school students to protest. And the cops showed up in full Darth Vader regalia, closed the local transit station so the students couldn't get home, and then confronted these young people with mace and tasers. So it's no surprise that they got rocks thrown at them, and I'm glad they got rocks thrown at them. No, 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 Now there's there's frantic, no, I won't. There's frantic talk in the US national media and around the world about so-called violence, um, which activists point out was completely missing for the past five years in Baltimore, and Baltimore police have killed 109 people. And just in the last four years, the Baltimore Police Department paid out $5.7 million in brutality and civil rights settlements. So there's some money that could go to youth programs and water bills. So victims included a 15-year-old boy riding a dirt bike, a 26-year-old pregnant accountant who had accountant who had witnessed an assault, a 50-year-old woman who was selling church raffle tickets, a 65-year-old church deacon rolling a cigarette, and an 87-year-old grandmother who was aiding her wounded son. And yet, Barack Obama, the first African-American president in a country that was founded on slavery denounced the protesters as criminals and thugs. Well, they're routinely referred to by black... I noticed by even black politicians over there, the writers are considered to be thugs. Not victims, not workers, not oppressed people. They're thugs. Well, you know, there's two people that always enjoy this. Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson. Oh, this, yes. is, this is how they make a buck. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They love this. Well, yeah, actually, the looting and the burning down of stores is actually not an apolitical act. A lot of the time it's stores that these people work in where they get paid poverty wages and are full of basic necessities that they themselves cannot afford to buy, such as medicine. So when um, Sean Grood, an associate editor at Jacobin, um, he when he went and witnessed a scene in West Baltimore after a riot, he wrote that the most salient thing wasn't the destruction wrought by the protesters, but by capital. He pointed to the boarded-up rows of houses, the hovels, and the amount of vacancies in the city, and that that was actually the thing that you noticed, not the destruction from you know so-called riots. Yes. So basically, Baltimore, like many other states in America, has cut services in order that they can cut corporate taxes so that they can try and attract investment from business. So they're their only strategy to the crisis is basically to keep attacking us. And this is why they need to militarise the cops. And it's the reason, I think, that the police just keep killing people, just have carte blanche kill people. It's just repression. Well, the only thing that's stopping people, more people from getting on the streets, is fear. Yeah. They're no longer trying to buy people off. Well, they can't, I don't think. No, no, they can't afford to. So I think that... This is really important because, as Chris pointed out at the start, if they get away with this level of repression, well, the police copy global trends in policing. It's the sort of thing they'll try and bring around here in the West. 
Uh, so very importantly today, May Day, the International Longshoremen and Warehouse Workers Union, the local 10, shut down the port of Oakland, which I suppose could be happening now or California. earlier today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know the time difference. Yeah, but it well, was in an act. Auckland's in the west, of course, Baltimore's in the east. Yeah, so it's in an act of yeah. solidarity with um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And the action is the first time a major labour union has conducted a work stoppage in solidarity with the Black Lives movement since its return to national attention last August with the shooting yeah. of Mike Brown. And I think this is a kind of action that can really scare the capitalists. The dock workers' action will prevent millions of dollars' worth of goods from being unloaded from cargo ships, and that's just a few hours of industrial action. So this small action, which obviously needs to be built way further, but is a good sign, I think is definitely in the spirit of May Day. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Yeah, pretty, pretty horrifying stuff, isn't mm, it? I, bet, I mean, this is spreading, you know, like Ferguson, and we've had places before that, so it's spreading. Well, good. Yeah. Long may it spread. Well... The other thing that coming back to Australia was uh, a very disturbing sacking of an SBS sports commentator because he had the cheek to glor- to attack the glorification of Anzac Day. He was dismissed without notice, a bloke called McIntyre, for, quote, compromising the integrity of the network by making five Twitter comments on Anzac Day. Uh, this is, of course, in the middle of absolutely blank blanket, nauseating pro-war covering of teenagers talking about how they fought for our freedom and other rubbish. Um, the journalists condemn, quote, the, cultiv- the cultivation of an imperialist invasion of a foreign company. True words. He also rec- recalled the documented war crimes and other abuses committed by Anzac soldiers during World War. He denounced World War II mass murder of Japanese people by the atomic bombs by this nation and their allies, all of which are absolutely true statements. By 9pm, the managing director of SBS made his first comment in saying that these posts were disrespectful. Four minutes later, Turnbull himself tweeted that the journalist's remarks were offensive, inappropriate and despicable. In answer to questions from the Crikey website, Turnbull acknowledged that he had pointed out the tweets to SBS manager. He said, oh, I didn't say to sack them, but he nevertheless uh, uh, demanded that uh, McIntyre's right to speech be removed uh, and uh, by removing him from his office. The Human Rights Commissioner, Tim Wilson, who is an appointment of the, uh, who is an anti-liberty man appointed by the Abbott government, uh, echoed Turnbull's argument in a column in The Australian yesterday. As public criticism of SBS's decision grew, Wilson claimed that it was absurd to decry McIntyre's dismissal of censorship. This was because, Wilson claimed, McIntyre was still free to tweet his bile, and no one is guaranteed a job. This is the Commissioner for Human Rights about this. But of course, freedom of speech is meaningless if you face the sack for exercising it, face the sack if you express your views. In effect, or first getting shot to death. Well, quite. It means it means employees can only give voice to a views approved by their employer. Political correctness. And you everything just don't, you, don't, you don't cross political correctness, and that's what he's done. That's right. What he did tweet was garbage, and he should sit, stick to soccer. 
but you know, this is the thing. I'm not sure. He's, he's employed. I think everything you said was factually correct. Everything was no, 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 no. There's stuff you haven't quoted. If no, if I they, saw, if they, well, the point is whether he's correct or not. Mm. Not the point. I support his freedom there's, of speech. I caution you. Caution There's no. I support them. There's no. We don't say the freedom of speech is uh, is okay if we agree with it. Mm. So long as we agree with it. the whole point of our freedom of speech is when you don't agree with it. That's what makes it free. Because now, if you speak your mind, you'll find yourself out of work or pr- potentially blacklisted. That's right. What applies, of course, to journalists can also be extended to teachers, public servants and corporate sectors working. Mm-hmm. On the government's behind, Wilson, the Human Rights Commissioner, is trying to redefine freedom of expression along these lines. He wrote, Voluntary codes associated with employment are one of the most important ways that we can regulate the conduct of the individual without laws, and they're fundamentally a good thing, end of quote. Other government supporters went further, accusing the SBS journalists of encouraging terrorism by challenging the Anzac myths. Andrew Bolt, for example, declared that if journalists portray their own country as the worst terrorist nation, who can blame some young Muslims for feeling obliged to destroy it? Andrew, so Andrew Bolt is the last person who should be having a crack. He really is. He, well, he, he should be... If I was him, I'd be sitting back and saying, told you so. Well, apparently now, if you express your opinion, you're not only spitting on the Anzac, you're encouraging terrorism. Um, and the Q&A show on Monday night, the Monash University Carolyn Holbrook, a former policy advisor at, in, Howard, in Howard's department, declared that McIntyre's comments would give fuel to young people who are confused and thinking about becoming jihadists. So this is another reason why you shouldn't have freedom of speech. In other words, any criticism of the Australian ruling class's involvement in imperialist wars, past or present, can't be tolerated. The accusation of encouraging terrorism would potentially open the door for charges under Australia's draconian and sweeping anti-terror legislation. Alongside Abbott government member Arthur Sinodinus, the uh, former deputy, I've mispronounced his name. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The former uh, deputy uh, to, to, uh, to John Howard, uh, treasurer. That's right. Yeah. Um, John Howard's private secretary. That's right. Um, he 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 joined in the condemnation, as did Tanya Plibersek, who refused to oppose his sacking. Merely mouth. The real concern in ruling circles is the broad anti-war and democratic sentiment that exists. Despite all the efforts to drown us through the government's half-billion-dollar campaign to legitimise and glorify World War One, one online petition signed by nearly two and a half thousand people by yesterday morning condemned the, condemned the SBS's actions as a re- reprehensible attack on free speech and commends McIntyre's criticism of hypernationalism associated with Antic Day. The comments made by the petitions give some indication of the, the widely filled outrage and concern. One, one comment by a petition signer said this, Scott's opinions weren't offensive. The level of sickening propaganda saturating the media around Anzac Day is what is offensive, and you sacking him in is even more offensive. Another stated, debate should be encouraged, especially about war and politicians stirring up nationalism for their own purposes. A third one said... Scott McIntyre was expressing a view that is well known and agreed with in the Australian community who have not been caught up in the Anzac juggernaut jingoism. A barrister sent a comment to the Socialist website 
explaining that McIntyre's sacking violated the implied freedom of political communication in the Australian Constitution. She wrote, quote, There is no foreseeable end to the class of person who may, at the stroke of a pen, or at the stroke of somebody's whim, be deprived of the freedom of political communication, begging the question, which class of person is to deprive next? Soldiers? Teachers? Nurses? Builders? Shopkeepers? Political advisors? In a letter to the SBS management, a daughter of a World War II vet- veteran wrote, quote, Shame on you that your, our young people, your employees, are not given the right to express their views and to protest in the way they know best through social media. The disgusting displays of militarism that have become the Anzac celebrations in Australia. McIntyre's sacking underscores the connection between the drive to war by the US and its partners, including Australia, and the assault on basic democratic rights, designed to silence dissent and working-class opposition. The journalist's dismissal comes on top of a similar attack on the democratic rights of the Socialist Equity Party, who wanted to hold an Mm, anti-war, anti-Gallipoli meeting in Burwood, New South Wales. In Sydney, the Labor Party-controlled Burwood Council cancelled the booking for the meeting, and the University of Sydney refused to permit the meeting to going ahead because it would, quote, disrupt Anzac events taking place on its campus. Shameful. Bit of a long ball, though. I think SBS is... I think, you know, the the SDP stuff and the Scott McIntyre stuff will... Very different, I think. Very different. I think but it I think, could be part of the culture wars, though. Well, it's it's a suppression. Well, mm-hmm. the, the the common link is SAP, an attempt to silence dissent. SCP one. What? SCP will be holding. I've held those rallies in Sydney and in Melbourne, so they won. But I think the loser out of they won. They went ahead and held the rallies. Oh yes, yeah. I'm not saying they didn't hold it, but the yeah. what we're talking yeah, yeah, about is the response of the ruling class is to try and silence criticism I agree with the of SC- austerity at home and war abroad. Yeah, I agree with the SCP stuff, that's for sure. I think the big loser out of this is SBS. They've been really caught in the middle because they set themselves up for 35 years as the voice of multiculturalism, political correctness, and here you go, Malcolm Turnbull's made a, a tweet. It wasn't mm-hmm. a phone call, it was a tweet. And... They've been, they've, they've been caught between a rock and a hard place. No, they've you shown know, extreme just, cowardice. Well, yeah, I think they should hold their, their ground. They should hold but, their ground in the interest of freedom of well, speech. Well, think of an awful... That even if Scott McIntyre is wrong on everything he said, that's not the point. Mm. His freedom to express a view is what's being attacked here. That, that's and if my, they can do it to journalists, they can do it to teachers, they can do it to broadcasters and all the rest that of That is my position, exactly. Mm. But I'm just thinking about the SBS viewers. Well, how are they going to react to this? Do you think they're going to turn off? I think some of them will. Well, that, that may be. That may be the case. Yeah. The other thing in the 30 seconds we've got, of course, is the hypocrisy sounding the execution of those two uh, Australian drug pushers, <laughs> uh, drug dealers. Um, the fact that what's not mentioned, of course, is the role in the Australian police in guaranteeing the fact that they were... Uh, mm. Mm. Uh, well, it's, it's politics, I think, going back to 9-11, going back to the Bali bombing, and then these guys, I think, in a very much real sense, sacrificial lambs. And also that the, the protested Abbott and companies now solemnly coming out about the death penalty 
Oh, oh Barnaby Joyce. Well, I mean, all the Liberals did. coming out and saying, oh, the death penalty, it's just shocking, it's shocking. But it's not shocking when it happens in Saudi Arabia where they beheaded 110 yeah. people this year. Or how hard nor in to the fight to get rid of it here in Australia. Well, nor, exactly. And who was it supported by the Liberals? The last person to be hung in Victoria Rod was hung Ryan. by a Liberal government under Bolton. Henry Bolton, yeah. But no, I mean, uh, Barnaby Joyce has said we need to have a discussion about capital punishment. Well, we know what that means. A lot of his um, people, you know, the people, his, what do you call them? His folks, his fans, um, want the discussion. So they want to bring it back. Well, you I mean, there will that? be, you know, but That'd I mean, the hypocrisy when in America, they routinely execute mentally ill people. Mm. Uh, people Sometimes they just shoot them in the back. Yeah. Well, you know, they don't, they don't even go through the well, process. They don't even bother yeah. going through the fuss of a trial. <laughs> That's right. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.